Welcome to Relevant Faith Church. My name is Mike Womer. I'm the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith, and we are excited that you have joined us for worship this morning. So we have been in a series called Giants, and we are in the sixth week of this series, and basically it's, it comes from the premise of a book written by John Maxwell called Running with the Giants, and that's why even in our artwork, the question on the screen is, who are you running with? Because that's a very important question to answer in your journey of faith is who are you running with? Who are you racing with? And this idea of this race of life um, comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. The Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God set before us. There's a, so much in that passage of scripture um, that is exciting to talk about and hear about. And one of my favorite things, and I haven't pointed this out until now, is the very last part of that verse when it says, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. It's really important to, to nail down that one simple phrase, the race God set before us. Because you're not supposed to run my race you're not supposed to run your neighbor's race. You're supposed to run the race that God set before you. And so he maps out this way to do it. And so we've come up with this, this idea, and it comes, like I said, from the book John Maxwell wrote, is, is these giants of faith, this, this crowd of witnesses to our journey, what would they say if they were able to step out of heaven for the moment of their life and run a lap of this race with us? That's what we've been talking about. So we've been hit, talking about giants, different giants of faith, and, and what would they say to us if they were able to run a lap with us? And so today, we're going to talk about a powerful and absolutely brilliantly amazing woman named Esther. And so Esther has got so much to offer us in a form of wisdom, in a form of passion, in a form of even an instruction on walking out this life that we have. And so, and maybe I'm the only person, if I am the only person, then I'm preaching just to myself, which we already know I do that every week. Anyway, I preach to myself first. As a matter of fact, I got the opportunity to go to church last night. I went to my friend Chuck Tate's church and just sat at Rock Church in, in worship service last night. And, and, and I even leaned over to my wife and said, when's the last time you and I just sat in church together? It's kind of it's different. And so, so we did that. And of course, I did what I used to do and annoy my wife during service, and so it was so much fun. But anyway, there was something that Chuck said, because Chuck says a lot of similar things. He and I are cut from very similar cloths, just different communication, different way of communicating. But he said it, and I loved it, is he said he first preaches to himself, and he's thankful that you guys, that, that people were there to hang out with him while he did it. So I kind of like that, 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 that mentality, like I'm preaching to me, and I'm so glad that you guys joined me this morning to hear me preach to me. And so that's what this is. So for when you are uncertain about your purpose, and maybe I'm the only person who's ever been uncertain about my purpose in life, but for when you are uncertain about your purpose, Esther's going to teach us that God has a place for you. That's the title of our thoughts this morning, that God has a place for you. And we're going to open up the Bible to Esther chapter 2, verse number 5 through 7. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have a device or a Bible with you. But Esther chapter 2, verses 5 through 7 I read out of the New Living Translation, and this is what the Bible says. At that time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jer. 
He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shimei. His family had been among those who King Jehoiachin of Judah had been exiled from Jerusalem to, the, to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 7, this man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. So there's a whole lot just even in that. A little bit of background of the story of Esther. So we, we find here, in, even in this passage, that she was this wonderful, this, this, there was this man who had a beautiful and lovely cousin named Esther, and her father and mother died, and Uncle Mordecai adopted her into his family. Now understand, in the Old Testament during this time frame, anybody who was adopted into a family usually didn't bear the same rights or the same any, everything that the bloodline would have. They're oftentimes seen as like the outsider type person with very minimal impact. Now, Jesus came and rectified all of that by saying when he adopted into the, into the, into the grafted into the tree of life, that Jesus grafted us in as Gentiles, that we were earned, we afforded every right of the king that the Jews had from, from God. So there was a rectifying of that, so to speak. But here we have young Esther. She constantly felt out of place. If you read through scripture, she felt out of place. She was adopted. She did, her parents had died. She found herself in a strange country with a completely and total different culture than what she was used to. And she never quite seemed to fit. If you read her story and you read about this, you'll see, you'll pick up instances where she didn't really seem like she fit. And so, so far, if you think about Esther in that capacity, how many of us can kind of relate to Esther a little bit? I never really felt like I absolutely fit. I struggled kind of to know my purpose. What am I doing? Why on earth am I here? I remember I had a couple of those moments when I first came to Mason City, Illinois. You know, I grew up in, I grew up in New York City. Um, I lived in New York City and Baltimore, two major, major metropolitan cities. Moved down to Laredo for a few years. Laredo, even still, uh, while on the border of Mexico in a completely different culture, still had about 280,000 people in it. And then I go to Mason City, Illinois. Population 2,500. And I still, to this day, stand on the fact and believe that that's when every single person who's lived in Mason City for the last 100 years comes home. Because I don't remember seeing 2,500 people. Just saying that. I, I think it's probably a lot, a, few, a lot fewer than that. But it's this very, very small, small, small community. And I am not small town guy. I am big city guy. I've shared with my wife, you know, if I had it my way and I had no children, I would live in a, one, I would live in a studio apartment in downtown Manhattan and ride a bicycle everywhere I went and take the subway. I love the city. Anytime I get into the city, I feel like I'm alive and I'm home. Part of why I love the city of Peoria, if I can derail for just a moment, I love this city because it's got a city. It's got a nice downtown. It's got a riverfront. It's got a lot of the amenities that you find in major cities without the congestion, traffic, and pollution and all the other garbage that comes with living in a major metropolitan, which is why I love the city of Peoria and love that God's called me here. But to get here, I had to go through Mason City, Illinois. And my first six months there, I'm just going to be completely honest, were an absolute living H-E double hockey sticks. I couldn't stand it. It was just, and it wasn't, it was, had nothing to do with the town. It was everything about me. 
I mean, I went to get my hair cut, and I had previously looked at a house. We had no real intention of buying a house, but it was fun to look. Ever do that? I got no intention of buying a house, but it's fun to look. It's fun to waste a realtor's time. Walk through a house and, and, and waste their time a little bit and say, hey, I'm going to check out this house. I have no intention of buying it, but I want to see it. And so I've actually done that a time or two since I've lived in Peoria. I have no intention of moving, but hey, I like to see other people's houses. So I, I, I go and checked out this house just to look at it. Went and got my hair cut. Woman's cutting my hair. The woman next to me says, hey, how did you guys like that house that you guys looked at? Man, long story short, I couldn't deal with the fact that people knew everything I was doing. There was like no privacy whatsoever. I come from a place where I don't even know what my neighbor across the street's doing. In this town, you could live on the outskirts of town in the middle of the country and everybody knows what you're doing. I, I spanked my kid that day. They knew. They knew. You know, it's just that kind of environment. Try to give people some perspective. My high school was two and a half times the size of the town. The high school I went to was two and a half times the size of that town. So it's like, I went through this place where I'm like, why on earth am I here, God? I don't fit. I, it doesn't make any sense. I'm completely out of place. What is my purpose? And so I learned a lot about what my purpose is. I'm not going to go into that because that's not for this message. But today, I want us to talk because we're in, if you've ever felt that place, whether personally in your personal walk or in work or in faith or in life or in church, wherever you have been and you found, what is my purpose? Why on earth am I here? Why, how do I fit? Today, we're going to hopefully answer that question and talk a little about, bit about finding your place. So a couple of quick things we're going to get into, give you a couple of points. You, gotta, you received the fill-in-the-blanks sheet or you can track along with me and take some notes and hopefully put it away. I found out this week somebody puts them away and saves them all, which I love. I love hearing that. To be honest, as a pastor, I love hearing that because I don't know how many times I feel like I speak and y'all don't even hear nothing. Just stare at me like I'm a brick wall or something. That's kind of how I feel sometimes. So to hear that there are some people putting these things away and revisiting them and, and listening, and I'm, I'm, it's always exciting and energizing. So that's what the note sheet's about. So number one, the very first fill in the blank as we go into this message is number one, finding your place, it requires great faith and trust. Great faith and trust. I had to trust that God led me to where I was in Mason City and I would find my place at some point. You know, we have this woman, Esther, she's, she was noted in scripture to be beautiful and, and, and in that context, what they were really saying is this woman is so of such beauty to look upon her meant you would stare into the beauty that God has to offer. That's the kind of beauty they say Esther held. Kind of like modern day Miss America type of beauty, if you would. And so we have this woman named Esther and, and here's, what, here's what happens she finds herself in a very unfamiliar position, an unfamiliar place, without family, seemingly lost. What was her purpose? Was she just created to just be this beautiful person, or what did she have? But here's what I believe happened. I, th I believe God used this situation because he had another plan. She was on her own path. She was doing, she had this one thing, okay, this is what I'm called to do, but God had another plan for her. Her, God's plan, so she had this plan that's seemingly like, oh, yeah, okay, that's manageable. God's plan said, no, I'm going to choose you to be the wife of the king of Persia. 
to be her to be his queen. To look at this process, they'll be like, that is, makes zero sense whatsoever. This person can be raised by Mordecai in that house of that tribe, but be called to be the queen of Persia. Those two things don't go together. And so she was just this average girl, not used to palaces and wealth and riches. Matter of fact, in Esther chapter 2, verse number 17, the Bible says, And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of this other woman. You should read the story. There's so much, so much uh, soap opera type drama in the book of Esther. I, I encourage you to read. I would love to just sit and read it together right now, the whole thing. But uh, there's some things I feel like God wants us to get to in this. And so, so the king would declare her queen over Vashti, which was a big, giant, cultural faux pas, so to speak. Like, no, you did not just do that kind of thing. And so here's one thing, one thought I feel like Esther would communicate to us. I'm, I'm jumping ahead of my, a little bit, but one thought I feel like she would communicate with us is this. There is no place that is out of place when you're in God's place. There is no place that is out of place when you're in God's place. I found that personally when I found myself in Mason City, because here's what would happen in Mason City. I would see God do something in my family that would never have happened anywhere else I'd ever been. I'd seen God do something in myself personally that never would have happened anywhere else that I'd ever been. I would actually see God move among a generation of teenagers in this small town that would rival mega church youth ministries to see God pour out his grace and his faith and his power on groups of people that even still to this day, there are, and this is what's amazing, 2,500 people, 400 and some odd students in that town, 100 plus of them coming to Mason City Christian Church for youth ministry on a Sunday night because it was that dynamic. And from that, there are countless people, young men and women who are serving God faithfully today, but not only that, they're walking out the call of God into ministry today. Amazing. It's just, it just, God did some amazing things. From that relationship, God also brought our worship leaders who lead us so beautifully into the presence of God here at Relevant Faith Church in Peoria. Devin and Becky, I've known them for 10 years now. It's crazy. And so, there's some amazing things that God does. So there's no place that is out of place when you're in God's place. And even though you might feel like you don't fit, even though you like feel like, oh, what am I doing here? I'm not used to this. This is weird. I call on my friend Nate. If he was here, he'd testify to this. Nate's got all the years of experience he has in one specific type of church. And then he comes and he comes here and he's like, we in a movie theater. People eating popcorn at church. But there's no place that is out of place when you're in God's place. Matter of fact, the psalmist would say in Psalm 31 that my times are in your hands. So number two, finding your place. So we, we know that finding our place requires great faith and trusting God. Number two, finding your place requires great courage. It requires courage. You know, there was this thought placed on Esther's shoulders to go and request and, uh, and make a request of the king. And she said, she put a fleece out there to God and said, well, I can't go unless he asks me to come. 
So here we have an official named Haman who plotted to kill every Jew that there was simply because of a grudge he held against Mordecai. He held a grudge against Mordecai, and his goal was to kill every Jew. Well, guess what? Esther was a Jew. And then we have Uncle Mordecai who realized that God has a place for her and that that place is in royalty. And so we fast forward to Esther chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. The Bible says that Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for, for such a time as this. So we have a guy who wants to kill every Jew. We have a Jew being placed in a place of royalty. Let's do the math here. I think that there's a purpose greater than what she can imagine in that. Because here's what I believe. I believe that purpose will always have an intersection in your life. It's going to be an intersection of a decision that requires courage. One of the things I realized, even in my journey to, into where I am today, is God had brought me to each single place that I had been in order to place me right where I am today. And it took courage. It honestly did. It took courage to move my family to the small town of Mason City because I didn't even want to be there. Like I only went because God had opened a door and I had made a decision in my life that if God opens a door, I am going to walk and at least investigate what's on the other side of that door. I'm not going to just shut it down because it's not what I want. I had what I wanted in my hand. I had an opportunity to be a youth pastor in the eastern shore of Maryland, two hours from my family, which is perfect, close enough that they can be there for far enough away they can't just pop by. I was 15, 20 minutes from the beach and I had free reign to do whatever I wanted. And it was in the, actually in the denomination of which I had received my credentials years before. So it was like this perfect fit. But I was like, yeah, God opened the door in Mason City. Let me go check it out. So I go and check it out. And I, I remember meeting some incredible people. I met Devin's parents, Annette and Dave Hall, who have been here before and played and led worship that would become so close and dear friends of mine. As a matter of fact, I would honestly learn what parenting really looked like from him. And so that was, that was enough to change my life. But amazing people. But at the end of the day, I still felt like this is, this is, this is so small. This isn't where God wants me for sure. And if I'm being honest, the service that particular day was a little dry. And I'm this expressive experiential worship person. Like I stand up here and lift my hands and dance and worship and don't really care what anybody behind me thinks because it's how I worship God. And so I'm like, there's not that. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting there and I knew in my heart, this is where God wanted me. And I even turned to my wife and I said to her, I said, we're coming here, aren't we, Alicia? And she says, yeah, we are. I was like, oh. And I threw my little pity fit across my arms, sat there like, like my son used to do, always do all the time, still does when he doesn't get his way. Because it wasn't what I wanted. But there was a purpose so greater than anything I could imagine in that moment. And it had, there was an intersection that my decision required courage. And it did. It took courage. Some people would think, yeah, that's just ridiculous. It takes courage. Trust me. It takes courage to move a city boy to the middle of a cornfield. Just say it like that. And one of the things that I realized in Isaiah chapter 41 has become one of the anthem passages of Scripture for my entire life 
in one of the parts in that passage of scripture says, fear not for I am with you. So wherever you go, whatever you find, whatever place you find yourself in, fear not because he's with you. We're so quick to leave a place. We're so quick to leave a, a location or a decision simply because we're unsettled and we think that we, we're not supposed to be here. We're so quick to just up and leave. That's why, that's why people change churches like they change underwear almost. I didn't like what they said this week. I'm going to go check out this church. And I really didn't like what they said that week. I'm going to go to this church. And by the time it's all said and done, they end up back where they were and say, why did I leave in the first place? Or they just end up leaving the church altogether because they, they get unsettled in a space because they feel like something should be happening and it's not happening the way that they expect or want. So therefore, they must not supposed to be there. We do the same thing on our jobs. We do the same thing in our relationships. We do the same thing with everything. But I really believe that there's a decision that requires courage Matter of fact, John Maxwell has a teaching called the law of timing. And this is, this is when the when is just as important as the what and the where when it comes to your purpose. The when is just, and I'll say oftentimes more important because there are people that jump off way too soon and they struggle tremendously because they just didn't have a little more patience. I will, I will say one of the things that I feel like I have done well in my life is to have patience to move when God would want me to move. Sometimes I'm th- I think I think sometimes I'm even a little slower than God right now. I was a little I was ahead of God sometimes, and I think I'm slower than him a little bit. But finding your place, it requires faith. It requires great courage. It also requires great initiative. You have to take initiative to find your place. Sometimes honestly, you just have to be like Nike and just do it. There comes a time it's just like, all right, just do it. Let's go. Esther chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says, Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. Esther got to a point where she said, I just have to do it. This is what God's called me to. This is what he's brought to my, my, my place. I know this is what I, I just got to do. And if I'm going to die, then I'm going to die. I was reading a story this morning um, about a young man, 27 years old, who went to a remote island um, in, in um, kind of like in the Miramar in India region out there in the middle of the oceans out there. And he went to an unreached people group. And he stepped onto the beach and the people who dropped them off left them. And he would die on that island, killed by the natives of that island because that's what they did to strangers who got on their land. They killed them. And there was this explosion on Twitter about it. They called him a racist. They said all these things horribly wrong about him because he was going there for the one purpose to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our world has become so contempt with Christianity that by doing that meant that somehow I was supreme and I was better than everyone else, so I have to go and convert them versus just sharing the love and grace of Jesus. And he was killed on that island, but he made a decision to say, if I must die, then I must die. Same thing Esther did in her situation. God not only has a place, but a time. Matter of fact, Winston Churchill said this, and I'm going to leave this on the screen for a few minutes because it's very wordy and it's very heavy. Pardon me. But Winston Churchill said, in every age, there comes a time when a leader must come forward to meet the needs of the hour. 
Therefore, there is no potential leader who does not have an opportunity to make a positive difference in society. Tragically, there are times when a leader does not rise to the hour. Leave it up on the screen for just a second. Read it yourself. It's wordy, but it's powerful. In every age, there comes a time when a leader must come forward to meet the needs of the hour. Therefore, there there is no potential leader who does not have an opportunity. Everyone in this room has an opportunity to meet the needs of your hour. Wherever that is, whatever context that is you find yourself in, on your workplace, at home, in the church, in the community, every one of you have an opportunity to make a positive difference in society. Here's the tragedy. Sometimes you're not going to step up and rise to the hour. It's important, church, that you rise to the hour. There's a world in desperate need of Christ. Like I said, God not only has a place, but he has a time. We have to do what we can where we are. So, so, many, so many people think, oh, in order for me to have an impact for God, I have to go somewhere else. I have to do something else somewhere else. You can make an impact right where you are. Because God not only has a place, but he has a time. So I want to take a few moments and make this practical. As we dive into Esther's story and Esther's life, this is the moment where I feel like, what would she say if she came down and ran a lap with us? How would she encourage us in this walk, in this journey of faith? Well, number one, when you don't understand, stay steady. We are blown with the wind so much. I believe there are so many quote-unquote Christians, believers, that are just like weeds. I mean, think about it. If you, if you walked, you can literally walk up to your front porch if you have a garden of any kind in your front yard or a little non-garden area where weeds grow, which I have because we don't garden. I can walk up there at any point in time, grab and pull weeds right out like that comes in seconds. It's done. They're here. They're gone. I drop the weeds on the ground, and next thing you know, they're gone. The wind blows them away. I believe that's unfortunately what a lot of believers are like today. They're going, they, they blow with the wind. They're like weeds. They're plucked so easily from the ground. But let me tell you something. If you really wanted to, to really pull all the grass out of my yard, you'd have to get down on your hands and knees, and you have to pull, and it's not going to be easy to pull grass out. Because grass grows in a healthy way where weeds grow where there's unhealthy. So if you're like a weed and you're easily plucked and pulled, then you're not going to be able to stay steady when you don't understand something. You're going to blow with the wind. You're going to end up somewhere other than where God wants you to be. So when you don't understand something, very simply, stay steady. Because it will never, ever be totally clear. Can I help you real quick, please? Your journey of, with Christ, your journey of faith, and what your purpose looks like is never, I repeat, never, ever going to be completely clear. You might have some clarity for moments, but just as quick as it was clear, it's going to become unclear. Because there's always the wrestling and the idea of, okay, God, what am I called to do? What am I called to be a part of? I used to challenge people, instead of saying, God, what do you want me to do? How about you say, God, what are you doing on this earth, and how does my life fit? 
Because we're always worried about us and what is God telling us to do? How about we say, God, you're, you're moving. You're doing something on this earth. You created me a certain way. You've given me a certain purpose. Now, how does my life fit what you're already doing? It's a little bit change of perspective, but I believe an important one. Matter of fact, and I hate to beat this scripture into the ground, but I'm going to because I think it's perhaps one of the most powerful things we can ever do. Because if you're looking for complete clarity, you will stay dormant. If you're looking for clarity before you do something for God, you will do nothing for God. So in these times of uncertainty, stay steady. Because Romans chapter 8, verse 28, again, not to beat a scripture into the ground because I've shared it every, I don't know if you paid attention, but I've shared it every week of this series. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. He's working things out, church. He's working things out. The only way you find them to be worked out is if you stay steady. Number two, another word of encouragement, I believe, is when you realize God's purpose for your life, you will be empowered to live it out. Let me tell you, I struggled for so long to get to the purpose that God had for my life, but now that I'm walking it out, (laughs) good luck getting me out of it. Good luck getting me out of what God's calling me to do. So when you realize God's purpose for your life, you will be empowered to live it out. When you find your purpose, you will have a grace to be able to accomplish it and accomplish it with excellence. Not just a whim, but with excellence. People used to, I used to almost feel bad from time to time when I had the standard of excellence for worship in the house of God. I used to, people used to try to come at me like, it's not necessary. Somebody wants to sing, just give him a microphone. I'm like, trust me, if you did that to me in your church, I'd chase everyone out the building. I can't sing. It's not my gift. This is what I do. I get a microphone, I shout. I preach. That's what I do. That's what I'm gifted to do. Singing isn't part of it. But people used to have this like contempt for a standard of excellence. And I used to think, wait a minute. I, I used to start to feel bad. Well, maybe I shouldn't be expecting things to be excellent. And then I find that the Bible actually tells me, in all things, do it for the glory of God. Matter of fact, Peter said, strive for perfection. I think Peter understood that he wasn't going to be perfect. Of all people in Scripture to understand who's not going to be perfect, I think Peter was a good example of that. He was Mr. Open open Mouth, Insert Foot. Man, I, I I am so Peter. I open mouth, insert foot, and then turn around and say, man, I wish I wouldn't have said it like that. Oh, well, now I got to repair the damage of what I just did. That's Peter. He said, strive for perfection. I think with the understanding here, and here's the same, same context, I believe it, with the understanding that I'm going to land on something that is excellent for God. I'm going to have given my best because here's what I feel. I feel if we strive to be mediocre, we don't even land on mediocrity. We land on something of poor value. So strive for perfection. And when you, have, when you know that this is God's purpose, you will live it out. I mean, look at Jesus. Look at, how, look at how he lived his out. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, the Bible says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. And look what the Bible says. Then Jesus went around doing, the good, doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He didn't just do it. He did it after he was anointed, after he was filled with power, after he, he, God had blessed him and told him, this is your purpose, now go do it. 
He knew what his purpose was going to be. He knew how he was going to live it out, but he didn't take a moment or one step until God anointed him and gave him the power. That's the son of God that did it that way. Why would we do it any other? When God anoints us and he gives us the power to do it, then we step out in faith and do it. Matter of fact, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You have to get the strength from Christ to do everything. We think, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're missing... We're missing the correlation there. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength to do this. The strength has to come through him. You can't just on your own strength go do whatever you want and think that it's glorifying God. He has to give you the strength to do what he's called you to do. That's how that process works. Last thought, practical thought I want to give you this morning, and uh, you can come and get set at this point, if you, Devin. Last thought I want to share with you this morning is this. Taking a risk is easier when you know God is in control. Taking a risk is easier when you know God is in control. Here's the challenge to that. We don't let God be in control. We take that control for ourselves and say, I have to understand. I have to comprehend. I have to know before I can actually take that risk and take that step of faith. Many of you have heard this story, heard the story of this church, and I'm not going to share it now because a couple of weeks at Growth Track, I will share it. But there was a huge step of faith that made no sense to anyone else around me when I took that step. No one. It made no sense. Matter of fact, I was actually tried to talk out of it so many times, but I just knew this is what God was doing. I knew he was in control. And to be honest with you, the risk was easy. For me to take a step of faith that way was easy. Not because the step was easy, but because I knew that when I stepped, I was stepping on the very foundation that Christ already laid. What's stronger than that? Isaiah chapter 30 verse 21 says, your own ears will hear him. Right Behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. Are we listening to God's calling? Are we listening to God's leading? Or are we doing it? Because why not? It's what I want to do. Because here's the reality. If you're doing it because you want to, you'll find yourself in a world of trouble. You will get to a place, and here's what you will ask yourself. You will find yourself in position, and you will say, how on earth did I get here? And it won't be a positive. I've asked that question in many positive ways, like, oh, my gosh, how did we ever get here? But if we're doing things in our time, our desire, when we want, we will find ourselves at a breaking point saying, God, how did I ever get here? And I would recall you back to Isaiah chapter 30. Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go. Are we listening to the voice of God saying, this is the way you should go? I shared with our team this morning as we prayed that the job of this word right here is to always guide us 
always teach us, always encourage us, but always critically judge our heart. Hebrews chapter 4. Sharper than any two-edged sword, separates bone from marrow, reveals, it reveals and judges the heart. If you really want to know where your place is, get in this book. If you really want to know what your purpose is, get in this book. If you are not in this book, then I can promise you decisions you're making are yours, not God's. And that sounds harsh, but it's fact. It's biblical truth. The Bible even tells us, meditate on the word day and night. Spend every day in the presence of God. If you're not, a lot of decisions and choices and directions you're going are yours. I pray for your journey.